Take your Bibles and open them up to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. All four of the Gospels, all four of uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all tell this same story that we're going to read from the Gospel of uh, John this morning. Not, not all the Gospels tell the same stories as they tell the life of Jesus Christ, and some choose to leave some in and some out, but... Uh, This particular story of uh, Jesus Christ feeding the 5,000, he puts in uh, all all four of the Gospels. uh, I I encourage you, we're just scratching the surface a little bit here in John chapter 6 this morning, but I would encourage you to go through and and read this chapter. What a fascinating chapter, 71 verses of the life of Christ. John chapter 6 and verse 1, the Bible says, After these things Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great multitude followed Him, because they saw His miracles, which He did on them that were diseased. And Jesus went up into a mountain, and there He sat with His disciples. And the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was nigh, and Jesus then lifted up His eyes and saw a great multitude come unto Him, and saith unto Philip, When shall we buy bread that these may eat? And this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered, 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may take a little bit. And one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said unto him, There is a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes, but what are they among so many? And Jesus said, Make the men sit down, and there was much grass in the place, so men sat down in the number of about five thousand. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, what a great example for us, He distributed to the disciples, and the disciples to them that were set down, and likewise the fishes as much as they would. And when they were filled, He said unto His disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. We see that here in the Scripture, leftovers are biblical, right? Verse 13, Therefore they gathered them together and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. We see here in a a parallel uh, passage about the feeding of the five thousand. And Mark Mark says in Mark chapter 6 and verse 34, he says, And Jesus, when He came out, saw much people. He was moved with compassion toward them because they were as sheep having no shepherd. And he began to teach them. We see here, just as we talked about last week, Jesus' compassion for the multitude, compassion for the lost, compassion for the world around us that is without light, that is without truth. In this day and age, in the time of of uh, Israel, the, the Pharisees, the teachers, the politicians, the leaders, they were not teaching the truth. They were not leading uh, people in the way of truth. And when Jesus came, He looked on the multitude, He looked on the lost, and He looked on them with compassion for them. 
It's interesting as we read this passage, Christ's interaction with the multitude, but at the same time, how this passage kind of gives us a backstage, if you will, or a, a, a view of the goings-on behind the scenes. While a crisis is going on, if you will, while a multitude is there, 5,000 men plus women and children, you'd have to assume a great multitude. And you see here Jesus Christ's interaction with his disciples. You see that in verse 5 and 6 where he looks at Philip while this is happening and he says, whence will we get bread? Where are we going to buy bread? Where are we going to feed these people? And the verse says that he did this to prove Philip or to test Philip. Right in the middle of this, right in the middle of Christ dealing and teaching with the multitude, he takes time. He takes time to teach and to deal with Philip on an individual basis. The Lord is the same way with us. He is omnipresent, meaning He is everywhere. He can be everywhere. And His Spirit, as, as this world needs Him and the multitude needs Him, He will and can deal with you on an individual basis as if you were the only one in the world. And he takes time with Philip, and he takes time to begin to work on Philip. Now, when the Lord asks a question throughout the Gospels, it's interesting to look. When the Lord asks a question all the way through the Gospels, he's not asking because he needs to know the answer. He's not only uh, omnipresent, he's omniscient. He knows everything. He knows what's going to go on. He knows, Jesus Christ knows in your life and in this situation here, He knows the outcome of every crisis in eternity past. Mm -hmm. He knows how it's going to work out. That should, as we trust the Lord and believe on the Lord, that should give us some peace to realize that God is in control. There's no situation, there's no crisis that has ever taken him by surprise. But he begins to work with Philip. Now it's interesting here, Philip is one of Jesus' disciples and Philip is serving the Lord by serving the multitude, right? And right in the middle of Peter's busy, I mean, this would, would you agree with me, this is going to be a busy time. Think of it in your terms. I mean, if you've ever, you know, been a part of a huge a wedding or something like that, where you're going to be feeding a large group of people, right? You're, 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 you're responsible for that. This is a, there's some pressure there, right? What if you're putting on a, a, a thing... They had 5,000 unexpected guests at one time. This would be a crisis for any restaurant in the Dayton area. If 5,000 plus people showed up unexpected, a restaurant couldn't handle it. And so if you were feeling obligated to feed these people, this would be a, uh, a crisis. This would be a problem. You would be getting to work. Christ, he was not worried about that. He was worried about working on Philip at this very moment. He asks him a question so that he's able to prove him. You know what he wanted from Peter or Philip? He wanted Philip to trust him. He wanted Philip to believe him. You know, a lot of times God will call us. He'll lead us to circumstances and situations that are beyond our control. And he doesn't tell us exactly what he's up to. He doesn't exactly tell us how it's all going to work out. He wants us to trust Him. Listen, it's it's like this. 
Christ is always working in our lives to draw us into deeper faith. Because deeper faith is a deeper relationship with Him. Our faith Our faith in Christ is our relationship with Christ. It's our trust in Him. It's our belief in Him. It's our dependence on Him. It is that, Lord, I need you that we sang about this morning. You may be looking at a crisis in your life right now. Something that is the multitude came to Philip. You may be looking at something on your in your future where you say, I can't handle this. I can't afford this. Or you may say, I can't take this any longer. I can't do this anymore. In Mark, again, a parallel passage in Mark chapter 6 and verse 36, the disciples, when they saw the multitude, you know what they asked Jesus? This is, again, the backstage behind the scenes. They said, send them away. That's what the disciples said to Jesus. They said, Lord, send them away. And if you would be honest, and you would look at your prayer life, and you would look at the crises or the situations that you face, you would probably be much like Philip and the other disciples, that your prayer is simply, Lord, send it away. Lord, I know you can get rid of it. I know you can do anything. God, I know you can handle this, so just... Get rid of it. Get rid of it. Just send it away. Send my problems away. Send my circumstances away. In other words, as Christians, if we're honest, you know what we would be asking the Lord? Lord, only bring things to me that I can handle by myself. Lord, only bring situations into my life that I can handle by myself because I'm comfortable with things that I can handle by myself. In other words, if you think about it, we're saying, Lord, only put things in my life that I don't need you for. But that's not, what the, that's not what our walk of faith is about. That's not what our relationship with the Lord is about. You know, what, you know what Philip missed in this whole scenario? Is the Lord said, what are we going to do? Whenever the creator of the universe says to you, what are we going to do? No problem. No problem. You know what Philip could have said? Well, Lord, you brought the sun up this morning, so I don't know what you're going to do about it, but I'm not worried about it. You can handle this. He could have said, Lord, I heard about that there was uh, uh, hundreds of thousands, if not millions, that you fed in the wilderness for 40 years. I don't know what you're going to do. I don't, I'm, I'm interested to see how you're going to handle this situation, but I don't have any fear or any doubt that you can handle it. But the human side of us, we, put, we start to put all the weight on ourselves, don't we? Yep. It's our problem. Yep. But no longer as Christians, no longer as Christians do we have to go through this life as me. He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Yep. For the rest of our life, we can go through as we. As yep. listen, I am with the Lord and the things that I face are our problems. And the Lord doesn't have any problems. He only has situations that are going to make us better. We have to believe that. We have to. He says uh, all things work together for good to them that love God. We don't have to go through this ourselves. Interesting, not just that the Lord is dealing with Philip here and trying to draw Philip into more faith, but the Lord, He uses a lad. Now, you see in this story, the Lord knew that there was going to be a lad. He knew there was going to be a little boy there. 
He knew this little boy was going to bring his lunch. And the Lord knew that he was going to use the lunch, that he was going to multiply the lunch. The Lord already knew all those things. But he had this thing, again, we see kind of the backstage of how it came about that this, that this boy comes up and offers. He offers his lunch to the disciples first. In, in verse 6, you see that. And the disciples, they may have been like, hmm, we appreciate your thought, but this isn't going to, you know, let's just say there in verse 9, and there was a lad that had five, bar, uh, five barley loaves and two small fishes, but where are they among so many? So the lad, the lad must have had a heart to, uh, like, childlike faith. The lad must have thought that his lunch, I don't know how it came about. He must have saw the disciples over there wringing their hands, you know. And he must have thought, well, here I go. I got this. I'll, I'll give this. Hey, disciples. Hey, and, I, and I, I don't know what he said. The Bible doesn't tell us. But he could have said, hey, could you give this to Jesus to see if he can use it? Could you give my, could you give my little bit to to Jesus to see what he could do with it. And the disciples are saying, well, you know, it's a nice thought, young, young boy, but, but, but listen, we, 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 uh, we're going to need a whole lot more than what you have to offer. And Jesus, he took that, he took that, and, and he multiplied it. Again, Jesus could have done it anyway. He could have rained manna out of heaven like he'd done 12,000 plus times before. But he chose to use the little lad's lunch. What do you think that this little boy, do you think his faith grew as a result of this? I don't know if the 5,000 knew where all the fish and bread come from. But the little lad did. And as he watched the multitudes being fed because of what he gave to Christ. Listen, this little lad takes his lunch and he goes out for a picnic. He goes out to hear this teacher out, out, there, out there by the sea side. And you know what he could have done? He could have looked around and saw the need. And he could have said, Lord, thank you for my food. Thank you for what you provided for me. And the little boy could have sat down and ate his lunch. And you know what? Nobody would have blamed him. Man, it's his lunch. Thank the Lord for it. The Lord provided the fish. The Lord provided the, the herbs and all the things that would be able to make for bread. And nobody would have the little boy for eating his own lunch. But you know what? He decided to give what little bit he had to the Lord. And I find it's interesting that there was so much left over. They gathered 12 baskets. Everybody ate till they were full, including the little lad. In other words, he got to eat just as much as he probably would have eaten otherwise. He ate till he was full, but not only that, but he got to see everyone else so they were full. You know, you may be looking at the crisis, you may be looking at the problems in your life, and you may say, I only have a little bit. I, I don't know how often or how hectic or how stressed out your week was last week, but you may have been able to say, man, I just don't have enough time. I don't have enough talent. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough skill. I don't have enough influence. I don't have enough. But maybe take what little bit you have and give it to the Lord and see if He can't take it and multiply it. Altogether, the Lord is taking these situations and these things in, in, the, in the multitude, in the, in the lad, in the disciples' life, and trying to get their faith to grow. He says later in the passage, and for sake of time we can't go through all of it, but in verse 20 of John chapter 6, in the middle of a storm, 
in the middle of a storm. You know, a storm in our life would be all the trouble that comes. Jesus comes to him, and you know what his word to, to the disciples were? Be not afraid. I believe that the Lord is telling us that today. Listen, in, in the crisis, in the storm, in the troubles, in the persecution, in the problems that we have, be not afraid. Trust me, believe on me, believe on me, and I will show you great and mighty things. He begins to teach them now. He has the multitude there. He's fed them. And now he begins to he give them, he met their physical need. But Christ was always, Christ was always far more interested in the spiritual need. Was he not? He was far more interested in the, phys- in the spiritual need of, of the multitude than he ever was the physical need. of. He knew that if you, if you hungered, you'd hunger again. So he told the woman at the well, you thirst, you'll thirst again, but I'll give you water that you can have that will be in you a well springing up into everlasting life. He was talking about the spiritual. So he, he begins to teach them. He begins to show them, listen, I'm the bread of life. He says in verse 27, labor not for the meat that perishes. Like, don't spend your life on things that aren't eternal. But for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give you, for him hath God the Father sealed. And they said unto him, verse 28, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? If you're here this morning and you're looking around and you say, Hey, I want to do God's work. I mean... I, I mentioned during the song service that God gives us purpose in life. He's called us as ambassadors. He's called us as, as missionaries, as evangelists. So what is it to do the work of God? How is it that we're going to do the work of God? Look with me now in verse 29. Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that ye believe on Him that hath sent me. Amen. You want to do the work of God? You want to see God begin to open up the windows of heaven, if you will, in your life and be able to see God do great and mighty things? This is going to be done by faith. Faith is the key. What what is faith? Being persuaded. Being persuaded. I I, I use in Romans the, the, the definition of faith through Abraham's life. Abraham was persuaded that God was able to do what he said he was able to do. Believing that God can multiply the bread, he can supply the need of the multitude, he can take care of my family, he can take care of your family, he can take care of us, he can lead us, he can guide us. He is powerful enough to handle our situation. It is faith in God. That is the work of his people. If he has his people believing him, we will see God work in our church, in our community, and in our country, when God's people believe Him, when they believe Him, when they follow Him, again, and it's so relevant to today, none of our, I'm going to vote, okay? But, but, but none of our faith is in politicians. Please, none of our faith is in government. Our faith is in the God that made this great country. Yeah. 
No politician made this great country. Amen. It was God that made this great country. And when we get back to in God we trust, we will right. see Amen. God work in this country. In God we trust. We don't trust in the economy. We don't trust in the military. All those things are good. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But that's just, this is small to trust in those things. Yeah. And we have the one true God that gave us all these things. Jesus, he begins to teach the multitude. He's telling them stuff that's deep. He goes into what we would call doctrine of, of him being the bread of life and, and, and he can take care of the hunger and thirst of the soul. Look at verse 35. And again, I encourage you to read this whole chapter later. And Jesus said unto them, I am that bread of life that cometh. Uh, or I am that bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. He's saying, listen, I, I, he says later, he says later in the passage, verse 48, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. When Jesus Christ says, I am, that means that there is no words to describe him. He is the I am. He is the beginning and the end. He is the alpha and omega. He is the one eternal true God. He's the water of life. He's the bread of life. He's the giver of life. And he's the giver of eternal life. When Jesus Christ says, I am, he is asking us to believe him that he is the I am. Now, Jesus Christ has a great multitude following him. For any, any leader, for any person, you know, people say you're not a leader if people aren't following you. Jesus Christ had thousands of people following him out into the kind of the wilderness here to hear him teach 5,000 men plus women and children. This is, this is a success. I mean, the disciples are probably thinking, okay, now it's working out. All right, now we see... We, we definitely hooked up with the right guy here. When he said, follow me, and now he's got thousands of people coming out to hear him uh, teach in the wilderness here, out, out by the sea. Uh, okay, we were on the right track. I could just see Peter. He was kind of that mindset. He thought, all right, we did the right thing. We're following the right guy here. This is about to turn out good for us. And then Jesus keeps teaching and keeps teaching and keeps teaching. And you can almost see the looks on the people's faces as they're like, we don't believe. We don't believe. We don't believe. Jesus says that the spiritual is far more important than the carnal, than the earthly. He says in verse 60, Many therefore of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can hear it? Jesus teaching. Your teaching's a little hard here, Jesus. It's hard to understand. We can't understand your teaching in a natural understanding. He says... And when Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at this, he said unto them, Does this offend you? What? And if you see the Son of Man ascend up to where uh, he was before, it is the Spirit that quickeneth. The flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. And verse 66, And from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. It was at that moment that the thousands, the multitude, began to leave. And you know who was left? Twelve. Now, can you imagine, Peter? I mean, can you just, just you yourself, think about how that would affect you emotionally. I'm just think of it. If you had this huge crowd, huge thousands of people coming out, and then that quickly, 
thousands leave, like all at once. You'd have to be second guessing yourself. Like, why am I still standing here? Right? Why am I still here? Why am I still following this guy who's teaching this that I don't completely understand? The disciples didn't completely understand what he was teaching at that point either. No. Jesus had even said in verse 26. He said, uh, Jesus answered and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, you seek me not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat the loaves and are filled. I have to ask you this question. All of us as, as disciples, as followers of Christ, I think we have to ask ourselves this question. Consider, why are we following Christ? In, in a Christian so-called nation, right? Sometimes people use the name of God just for Political gain. I've seen it. You've seen it. Because we think it's like being a Christian, saying we know Christ, it's going to somehow make a little bit better life. Like, almost like an, we treat it like an insurance policy where it could take out some of the bumps along the way, sort of thing. Like it's a better life to have Christ involved. Or, or maybe it's a peer pressure thing. Maybe it was your parents were Christians. Or your peers around you are Christians, so you think, well, you know, I'm a Christian. Right? I'm a member of a church, or I know people who go to church, or I went to church as a kid. I'm a Christian, right? Just because of the people that you're around. But let me ask you this. If, you, if, you're, if your relationship with Christ is based upon that, what happens when they all leave? What happens when... It's not any longer popular to be a Christian. What happens when the peer pressure is the opposite way? When it's no longer the in thing to be a follower of Christ? Would you be one of those like Peter, James, and John that would stay? And Jesus even looked at them. Look at verse 67. He even looked at them and said unto them, unto the twelve, will you go away? Uh, Will you also go away? And then Peter says this, some of the greatest words that we should say this morning, verse 68. Then Simon Peter answered and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of life. We believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. That's what Jesus wanted them to believe. He wanted them to believe. And he even told uh, uh, Peter later, hey, it wasn't even you that understood that I'm the Christ. It was the, it was God that showed you, the Spirit that showed you. Listen, he wants us to say, listen, I am following Christ because he is the I am. I'm following Christ because he is who he says he is, that he is the creator of the universe, that he is the way, the truth, and the life, that he has the words of life. That's why I I bring us back to remember. That's why John wrote this gospel. He even said that. He said in John chapter 20 and verse 31. He says, but this, uh, these are written, the gospel of John, that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through His name. As we conclude here, let me ask you. Have you been following Christ kind of like one of the disciples out here that aren't a true follower? Let me ask you a different way. Have you been saved? Have you been born again? Has God's Spirit moved inside of you? Are you a true 
believer of Jesus Christ. And it's not based on your family. It's not based on your parents. It's not based on your peers. It's not based on any type of thing other than your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. The gospel. His death. His burial. His resurrection. Remember in testing, you may be following Christ, you may be serving Christ, and you may be looking at crises in your life or problems in your life. Remember, like, Pete, like Philip, that the Lord is in the equation, that this is for testing and this is for your good, and the response that the Lord wants from us is what? Faith. The response that the Lord wants from us is faith. You know, so many times in our tasks in life, we're concerned about accomplishing the goal. Christ, he'll get the goal accomplished. But along the way, you know what he's trying to do? He's trying to enrich our lives. He's trying to enrich our lives. He's teaching us. He's training us. And the response that he's bringing his children to is not a faith, or excuse me, the response he's bringing us to is not a fearful reaction to all the problems, but a faith-filled action to say, I'm following you, Lord. I'm trusting you, even though I know I can't handle this. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Faith, listen, it is not faith if we can handle it. It's not faith if we can do it. How is it that we can say that we're walking a faith, faith walk if we can do everything that we're doing? God has to call us out into deeper waters, if you will, in order for us to grow. And we want to grow, right? We want to grow. Like the lad, maybe you think, I don't have enough. I can't make a difference. But my life or my abilities, my skills, my talents, it can't affect the multitude. No, maybe it can't in it of ourselves. But when we give it to the Lord, He can take it and multiply it. He can use your life. I am convinced of this. God can use your life to meet the needs of many. We as followers of Jesus Christ, we carry the greatest treasure, and that is the gospel. We carry what Peter said. He had the words of life. He's given them to us. We have hope. We have hope. And we carry those treasures. God can use us. He's interested in us as disciples to trust Him, even when the multitude leaves. Even when the doctrine gets to be like, Lord, I'm not sure where you're going. Lord, I'm not sure what you're doing, but you have the words of life. I'm trusting you. I'm believing you. The Bible does say the just shall live by faith. He says that we're to walk by faith. In our prayer life, maybe a little bit uh, stop saying, Lord, remove all the bad circumstances and say, Lord, draw me close to you through this circumstance. Lord, show me yourself through this. Lord, show yourself powerful and strong. Increase my faith today. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we come before you. Lord, if there's someone here this morning that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, I pray that they cry out to you. And Lord, ask you to save them. You will. You sit here. You'll draw near to those that draw close to you. God, I pray that... Salvation would come for each person that's here today, Lord, that we would know that we're your child, that we're born again, that we have eternal life. God, I pray for us as Christians that, Lord, we would be faith-filled. 
Lord, that we would seek after you, that we don't have all the answers, but we know the one that does. Lord, we don't know every, every decision or how everything's going to work out, but we know it is going to work out because we seek after you. We're following you and we're trusting you. Therefore, Lord, there's no reason for us to be afraid. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to worry. We don't have to stress. We can trust in you and have the peace that passes understanding because of your promises and because of your power. God, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.